Please remain standing for the reading of the sermon text. Hear the word of the Lord. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we come to your word this morning, help us to, to be changed by it, by your Holy Spirit, apply the truths to our hearts, that we may grow in affection and love for you, that we may learn to obey Christ and his commandments all the more, and that we may delight in you and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. My son, uh, Benaya, he's two years old. He likes to do this thing uh, where he gets under a blanket and he calls it hiding. Um, The thing is, we can see him, he's right there. It's just a lump under a blanket, but because he can't like see out, he thinks that people can't see him. And so uh, I thought, okay, he loves this. He loves... um, Doing, doing the hiding thing. So I'm going to try and teach him hide and seek. And uh, it didn't work out that awesome because what happened was I went in the living room. There's a blanket on a couch. So I said, hey, you hide under this blanket. I'm going to go out of the room and I'm going to come back and, and look for you. I'm going to try and find you. So you hide. I seek. It'll be fun. Uh, and so I went out of the room. I, I was calling to him, hey, Benaya, hide, hide. And he said, okay. And then uh, a couple seconds later, he said, Papa, come, Papa, come. So I, uh, I went out, and, but instead of hiding, he was just sitting beside the blanket, just on the couch like, like this. <laughs> like so excited for me to come back uh, that he forgot to hide. And so we tried it a second time, uh, and I, I, I showed him, hey, this is how you hide. Remember, you like hiding. He knows how to do it. So we tried it again. And when I came out the second time, he wasn't even near a blanket. He was in the middle of the living room, not even close to anything. Again, just, Papa, so excited for me to come, which made me feel awesome, but he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He actually wasn't ready to play hide and seek. And I think that's actually what Jesus is kind of getting at this morning. Are we going to be found ready when Jesus comes back? Are we going to be found ready? Are we going to be found doing what we're supposed to be doing when Jesus comes back? And that is the focus of the text. We must be ready when Jesus returns. We must be ready when Jesus returns. And there's going to be two specific questions regarding this readiness that Jesus is going to answer this morning. First, why must we be ready? And second, what does it mean to be ready? Why must we be ready? What does it mean to be ready? And and the first question begins to be answered in verses 28 through 31. It says this, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So we begin to get into the, 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 first, the first question, why must we be ready? And in this discussion of the fig tree, Jesus is finally giving an answer to the question that his disciples asked him like 25 verses earlier. And it's what Craig's been going over the last several weeks. So I think it's going to be important to kind of recap what we've talked about so far to understand what's happening here. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are walking out of the temple and his disciples marvel at all the beautiful buildings and and the structures and, and how amazing the temple is. And Jesus says, oh yeah, all that's going to be destroyed, by the way. Not one stone standing on another. And his disciples, uh, which all of us would would probably ask, well, what are you talking about? When is that going to take place? When? Why? Uh, Those sorts of things. And and Jesus begins this long answer of asking when this is going to take place. And he says there's, there's going to be things that will tempt them to think that that time is coming. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, those sorts of things. No, he says those aren't signs. Then he talks about the abomination of desolation and the tribulation when the sun is darkened, the the stars fall from heaven and, and, and so forth, things like that. And after that, Jesus says there will be the destruction that he's talking about. So they just ask, when is this going to take place? He says there's going to be the sign of the abomination of desolation and this is going to happen. And as Craig has been preaching, we know this happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem and the temple were literally obliterated. They were destroyed. And Jesus gives us another helpful time clue in this passage. He says uh, that all these things that he's talking about will take place within a generation of when he's talking. He says that everything he's talking about will have happened within a generation, within a lifetime of the people that he's talking to. And it did. And in this way, this, this text this morning, these verses 28 through 31, function as the bookend of of the rest of chapter 13, the whole beginning of chapter 13 that we've talked about so far. He's answering the question that was asked then with, you know, he prophesied and he did it with astonishing accuracy because we know that it happened. It shouldn't be surprising. Uh, Craig last week talked about Jesus was vindicated as the son and prophet of God because what he said actually came true. And, And Jesus explicitly says, how true his words are here in verse 31. He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. Jesus is making the claim that his word, the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, was more sure than even the God-made foundations of the world. But this section also functions as a transition into the next part of his prophecy. So what we've seen so far is they asked the question, he answered it, but then he keeps talking. In verse 32 and beyond, he keeps uh, prophesying. But what I'm going to propose is that while everything before, up to 31, is something that was, uh, he was prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, in verse 32, he transitions and begins to talk, talk about and prophesy about something that's future for us, namely the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming And this does present us with the first reason to be ready when Jesus returns, that we can be sure that Jesus is actually coming back, Uh, which the logic should be fairly simple. It's because we know that Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem came true, then we know that his next prophecy will also come true. The proved veracity of his first claim gives inherent trustworthiness to his second claim. 
As one commentator put it, the occurrence of the judgment of Jerusalem guarantees the judgment of the world at Christ's second coming. And this probably seems somewhat obvious to most of us in this, uh, in, in, our, in our seats this morning, because I usually don't have to do a whole lot of work to convince people that Jesus is coming back. That's a, that's a foundational Christian doctrine. Jesus is coming back, we know that. But the, the future coming of Christ is not meant to be something that we just mentally assent to without any real impact on our lives. Everything about our lives should be shaped by the sure hope that we have that Jesus is coming back. And Jesus refines this point even more in verses 32 and 33. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. This makes it clear that although Jesus is returning, we don't know when. We don't know when he's coming. This is the explicit reason Jesus gives for our necessity to be ready. He says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. And whereas there were clear signs uh, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, there are no clear signs leading up to the second coming of Christ, right? We, we've read, Jesus says, hey, there's just like the fig tree, it's going to bud its branches, its leaves are going to come out, and that tells you summer is near. And then in verse 32, he transitions and says, hey, there's no sign, you don't know when it's coming. Right? And so we need to be ever ready because we don't actually know. It could be right now. Jesus come back right now. And there's a helpful illustration that I came across recently that I think embodies this well. Uh, and it's about the show The Office. You don't have to know anything about the show to understand what I'm about to say. Uh, so there's this character named Dwight and a character named Jim. And in this one episode... Dwight uh, disguises himself several different ways and, and throughout the episode uh, surprises Jim by throwing, pummeling him with snowballs. It happens, uh, he, he, he got himself inside of a snowman and then when Jim walked outside, he busted out of the snowman and threw snowballs at him or, or uh, he has wigs of all the other uh, office that match all the other office workers and so when Jim walks by, he doesn't actually know it's Dwight and so when he walks by, Dwight just pummels Jim with the, with the snowballs. And throughout the episode, what's happening to Jim is that everything about his interactions in the office changes. So when he's going through a door, he, he peeks, he, he does this thing, or when he's going around a corner, he's very aware, he's, he's very uh, focused in everything. There's one point where he goes in a room and pokes the ceiling with a, a broom handle just in case Dwight is in the ceiling. Um, and I think this is actually a really good example of, of how the coming of, of Christ, the second coming of Christ is actually supposed to change everything about our lives, change everything about how we function in every sphere at all times, no matter what we're doing. Always alert, always on guard, always awake, always zoned in. Because he could come back right now, or he could come back right now, or it could be 2,000 years from now, but we don't know. And readiness allows us to be effective whether Jesus comes back in five minutes or tarries for thousands of years. If we're ready now, we'll be doing effective kingdom work in the world. If we're ready now, we'll be most ready to glorify him even if he comes back right this second. And if we're being faithful, if we're ready now, even if he tarries for 2,000 years, the generations that we produce in being faithful will continue to be ready and be faithful. 
So it doesn't matter when Jesus comes back. We just need to be ready for it. We're not, we're not supposed to know exactly when. And so Jesus is surely coming back. We don't know when. We must be ready today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives or until he returns. Which I think leads to the obvious question that we're all going to ask. What does it mean to be ready? And verses 34 through 37 help us with this. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so he begins to hear answer, what does it mean to be ready? Uh, but I think if you're like me, it's going to be important to, to take a quick detour because when I immediately read this, I, I immediately start thinking, well, is my being ready the grounds of my being accepted by God when Christ returns? Am I actually earning something by being ready? What happens if I'm not ready and Christ comes back? I still have faith in him. What, what, what's going on here? And so... I want to ease any tender conscience, uh, mine included. By being ready, you're not earning or meriting anything. Believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and believing that, that he's the king of the world, is all that you need to be, uh, all, all you need to have to be accepted as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yet, with that truth, you are gods if you have faith, but with that truth, we know that faith works. Knowing that every sin and transgression has been taken from us and that we've been utterly cleansed drives us to work and obey. But if it's not for our salvation, but because of our salvation that we work, what, is it, what does our readiness do? What's it for? And I think 2 Thessalonians gives us a helpful view of the goal of our readiness. It says, Fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord may be glorified in you. And he's talking about when, when Christ returns, I believe. He says, so that the Lord, the, the name of our Lord may be glorified in you. We ready ourselves so that we might glorify God to the utmost when he returns. That's the goal of our readiness. And I can't say it as good as John Calvin so I'll paraphrase what he says. How glorified could Christ be and what benefit is there to the believer if one spends their entire life in ease and indolence and pleasure only to spend three days preparing to meet the king of the world? If our aim is his glory, we must always be ready and always growing in readiness. So we return to, that, to, the, to the heart of the question. What does it mean to be ready then? What does it mean to be ready and I'm thankful that Jesus gives us this illustration of the master going away and putting his servants in charge and the doorkeeper, uh, and he tells the doorkeeper uh, to stay awake. And all these things are really obvious clues. The command to us in the passage has been stay awake, and then he gives this parable, and the doorkeeper's command is to stay awake. And so we know we're supposed to look to the doorkeeper to know what it means to stay awake. And with the doorkeeper as, the, as our example, I think we can draw a few uh, practical applications for our lives in how to cultivate a life of readiness, a life of awakeness for Christ's return. First, 
the doorkeeper must not be distracted in his duty. Second, he must be continually fit to perform his duty, which leads to the third, he must not be hindered in his ability to perform his duty. Uh, first aspect, the first aspect of staying awake is remaining undistracted, wholly committed to our duty. And because of this, I think it's important to at least touch on a couple of things that, that are, are regular, kind of normal distractions for us today. And in the passage, I think there's a really clear uh, connection to something that's, that's pretty often, uh, pretty frequently distracts modern evangelicals, which is always looking for signs of Christ's coming, which we already know. He said there's not any. But we do this all the time, right? We, we, we hear of blood moons and, and wars happening around the world, and we say, Jesus is here, he's coming. Well, we know in the passage, you actually don't know. You don't know. And so we get so distracted by, by sign finding. Right, take again my, the example of my son playing hide and seek. He was actually so preoccupied with my coming and waiting for that that he forgot to do what he was supposed to do. Right? He was just standing there in the middle of the room and I think if we're so preoccupied with looking for signs of Christ coming and anticipating when that's gonna be or setting dates for when Christ is coming back, we're just gonna be found like my son Beniah, like this, so excited for Christ to return, but wholly unprepared for it, completely unready. And, and another kind of more general example of how we can get distracted from our post is being anxious about everyday cares of the world, worrying about food or budget or homes or schedules or, or our next vacation, our next career promotion. Imagine the, the doorkeepers having some financial issues and instead of tending to his post, he says, oh, I need to call the bank and figure this out. And then he starts to text his wife to try and get it figured out. And then, he, and then later he calls up his buddy to try to figure out some side business so maybe he can try to get some extra money to cover these, these things going on. Here's the problem. None of those things are actually bad in and of themselves. And none of those things I listed before are bad, right? Worrying about having to deal with food or budget or homes or schedules. That's all part of our lives. None of those things are bad in themselves. But we can be so anxious by them that they actually begin to overtake our lives. They, it's a dominating anxiety that is so distracting for us. And so those things can actually all be, be there's two options for all the things in our life. They can, they can be distractions or they can be conformed to a pattern of God glorifying readiness because we all have to deal with them. And second, there's the aspect of, of staying awake. And, 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 and this thing, I mean, the second aspect of staying awake is that we need to be continually fit to perform our duty. Or the way that I'm, I'm thinking about continually fit is the idea of holiness, growing in holiness. That's probably an easier way to say it. And there are two places in the New Testament I want to highlight that showcase what holiness or fitness for Christian duty looks like. First, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a perfect summarization of what holiness looks like, growing in those things. Possessing and growing in these things is the surefire way to cultivate a life of readiness. The fruits of the spirits are the gifts that God gives to his people to help us glorify him and, and, and stay awake. That's what helps us pursue obedience in all things to God until he returns in another place that we can see what growing in readiness looks like or growing in holiness looks like is in 2 Peter 1. He says this, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we keep ourselves fit for duty? How do we keep ourselves growing in holiness? It's, it's to go to the well of life who is God and pursue all of these qualities, pursue the growth of, of the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit and, and all the things that Peter said in 2 Peter 1. And a third thought in staying awake, which leads out of, of growing in holiness, is the, the need to stay unhindered in our ability to perform our duty. And the way I'm, I'm thinking about this is, is killing our sin. Because what causes a Christian to be hindered more than sin? Uh, in our passage this morning, there's a, there's a parallel passage to it in Luke. And in Luke, he warns about how drunkenness and dissipation weighs you down. And so sin weighs you down, actually hinders you in your ability to perform your duty. And John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, says this, which is helpful. The life, vigor, and comfort of our spiritual life depend much on our mortification of sin. For sin weakens the soul and deprives it of its strength. An unmortified lust will drink up the spirit and all the vigor of the soul and weaken it for all duties. It untunes and unframes the heart itself. Sin sucks us dry of all spiritual vitality. And yes, our sins weigh us down and that's, that's a massive part, but there's even a next step that weighs us down even further when we sin, which we do often, which is hide from God in our shame, which is even another weight that we're putting in our bag, further alienating us from God, who is the well of life. So the call to action is this. If you have sin, indwelling sin, habitual sin, uh, a, a sin that you are, are so domina dominated by, repent. Go to Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross. Okay, this, this right now for you probably feels like an insurmountable uh, 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 obstacle in your life or something that actually completely dominates you. So there is comfort here that in the gospel of Christ, by his blood, you are a citizen of a new kingdom where sin has no authority. You actually are more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. So kill your sin. Remember the gospel. Take the next step forward to remain awake in your Christian duty. Do not let shame manhandle you into dereliction of duty. Go to Christ. Go to the feet of Christ and receive his free, repeat, free forgiveness. And move forward. So these things at least begin to, to, to give us some understanding of what it looks like to be awake and ready, remaining undistracted, growing in holiness, and killing our sin. This is summar summarized well by Eckhart Schnabel. We must always be carrying out the task that the master has given to us in such a manner that the sudden return of the master will not catch us unprepared. Whether Christ comes back today or 2,000 years from now, we must always be ready and always growing in readiness, precisely because we don't know when he's coming. We don't want to be found asleep 
or weighed down or distracted. So I entreat you to take the return of Christ seriously. Understand the urgency and necessity of being ever ready and take seriously the charge to be like the doorkeeper, on guard and awake, avoiding distraction, growing in holiness and killing your sin. Pray with me. Holy Father, this morning help us to remember the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who's brought us from the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light. Help us to be people who exalt you and praise you and and obey this call to be ready. Help us to not be distracted by the cares of the world or, or not weighed down by sin. Lord, help us to be people who who have cast off every weight and hindrance and are running the race and fighting the good fight and, and doing all that by the power of your Holy Spirit who empowers us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.